Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning. It's good to be back at uh, Calvary Baptist Church. My wife and I have been looking forward to this. I want you to stand, Sandra, if you would, please. She loves it when I have her stand. Uh, this is my wife. In uh, May the 28th, God willing, we'll be married 55 years and still going. And near as I can tell, she's going to stay with me, and I'm happy about that. And uh, thank the Lord. We've been looking forward to the time of fellowship here and in the time uh, in the Word as well. Now, I want to announce the text is John 4, if you care to turn there. And I'm going to talk to you just a second if you want to find the Gospel of John chapter 4. This has to do with the Jesus and the woman at the well. I'll never forget uh, when I was uh, pastoring in Stillwater, Oklahoma, we had a revival meeting and I asked a very, very well-known preacher to come and preach. And uh, I I loved his preaching. He came to preach and uh, he said, um, got up that Sunday morning, we had a special day, had a full house, I mean just a place packed out and a lot of visitors and everything. And he said, open your Bibles to John 4. And then he began to read and he read that Sunday morning and we started at 11 o'clock for the worship service, you know. And at, uh, so and he started in verse 1 and read all 39 verses, stopping to make a comment or two here and there. Now, I'm not much of a clock watcher, but uh, that day with uh, visitors and everything, uh, I watched the pace he read that. And then by the time he got done with his introduction, it was about 12 o'clock, and uh, he hadn't even started preaching. And then I think he realized what was happening, and the sermon kind of got discombobulated, you know, so he did really well that night but, and the rest of the week, but that morning was pretty rough. So I said to myself, if I ever preach this uh, as a preacher, pastor, or guest preacher, I'm going to divide this thing up. So I have it divided up in four parts. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, not only this morning, but tonight, God willing, and Monday night and Tuesday night. And uh, I think it's uh, necessary to give attention to the emphasis that is placed throughout this discourse between Jesus and uh, the woman at the well, and then the results of that, it's, uh, oh, it's rich. In my opinion, it is rich. And so here's what you're going to do. Now, I'm, I'm president, uh, let's see, what's my title now? I'm chancellor of Heartland Baptist Bible College now. So I never was the professor type. I'm still teaching a class there, but I, I never was that type. But I'm going to give you an assignment today. Can you feel the enthusiasm building in here? It's just amazing. But what I'd like for you to do is uh, read all of this account. We're just going to read the first few verses this morning, but then tonight, uh, so that you can get familiar with it for tonight and uh, Monday night and Tuesday night, and then God willing, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to jump over to John chapter 6 and talk about the feeding of the 5,000 and some of the events that took place there that also can be very, very helpful in my estimation uh, to the people of God. So if you do that this afternoon, if you read it, if you do that, everybody make yourself a little more familiar, it could easily shave 10, 15 minutes off the sermon at night. So pastor's already reading. But I didn't say it would, I said it could, you know, so it's just, okay. 
All right, and thank you, young people, for singing. Wasn't that beautiful? Good job. Good job. I looked at the guys sitting on the front row, and I thought, I bet they're singing, and my expectations weren't very high. And then I saw the girls and thought, we're going to be okay. No. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. It's very good. Very good. We enjoyed that. I was blessed by that, and I could tell by the response of the congregation as well. All right, John chapter 4. Now, uh, just to make sure everybody gets a chance to get confused, Hold your place there and go to Jeremiah 2. I just want to show you one verse here that I want you to keep in mind. And then we're going to stand and read in the Gospel of John in chapter number 4. But look in Jeremiah 2. There's one verse here that I'm going to reference later. I think if you read it now, it'd make uh, more sense to you. I'm not going to explain it or preach it now. you got to wait for that. All right, verse 13 of Jeremiah 2. Listen to this. Jeremiah, on behalf of God, God giving him the message, for my people, talking about the nation of Israel, have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now just kind of keep that in mind. They have forsaken me, God said, through Jeremiah, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now you can lose your place there. We won't turn back there. Just make reference to that again. We're in John chapter 4. Let's stand together for the reading of the word. If you need to remain seated for physical reasons, obviously that's fine. So how many verses did I say you read? 39. 39 verses. We're just going to read through verse 38. No, I'm kidding. No, we're, uh, start, start in verse number one, if you would, please. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, parentheses, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, they did the baptizing, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, about noontime. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew, ask me, or ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And the other unusual thing is a man wouldn't talk to a woman under those conditions, him being a Jew, she Samaritan either. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, 
and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman had to be stunned, answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that said thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our Father, we ask your blessings now upon the reading of thy word and upon this endeavor to proclaim your word. And we often pray that people would have ears to hear and that your Holy Spirit would work. And of course, I pray that. I pray that for this assembly right now this morning. But the preacher is in as much need of the Holy Spirit as anybody in the room. I need the help of your Holy Spirit to speak and to be clear. And not only that, O oh God, but for you to give unction and meaning to the words and to affect the hearts and lives of those who will give attention. And you know every life. All we would have to do is back up to chapter number two, and we can see that not only did Jesus uh, know the immediate people that he was dealing with at that time, he knew this woman when she came to the well. And not only did Jesus know, he does know. You know who's here today. You need not your word says that any should testify to you of man because you know all men and you know what is in us. So you know exactly where everyone is here this morning, not in geographical location, but in their spiritual life, in their need of thee, O oh God. And if somebody is here that's never been saved, I pray they would come to Christ and be saved today and drink of this living water. If there are believers that are trying to find satisfaction apart from their relationship with you through Christ, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts as well. And so accomplish your will. Help us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. When you go through the Gospels and follow closely, <clears throat> I think that you with me would not only be appalled but amazed at the attitude, say, of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious element of the Jews and their attitude toward Jesus. Uh, what I mean by that is it wasn't uh, a blessing to them that demons were cast out by Jesus Christ. They said, he's doing it in the power of the devil. That's what they accused him of. Uh, they also said, yes, but he breaks the Sabbath day. 
which is totally absurd and ridiculous. He did not break the Sabbath days. And as a matter of fact, he would break their interpretation of how the Sabbath days ought to be observed because they were giving the same weight to their interpretations as they were to the law itself. So Jesus violated their man-made interpretation just to show them they don't have any authority. Only God has authority, see. And so they accused him. He violates the Sabbath day. You know something else they said about Jesus? He is a wine-bibber and a glutton. They criticized John the Baptist because he wouldn't socialize. And Jesus came and they criticized him and called him a wine-bibber or a drunkard and a glutton. That's the words they spoke of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, I don't have to convince you, those things are so far removed from reality. But they did get one of their judgments right. Here's what they said of him. And they said it in, to mean derision. But they said, he is a friend of sinners. They said of him that he is a friend of publicans and sinners and setteth down to eat with them. And I want to say, you nailed it. You nailed it. He was the friend of sinners. Uh, we need to also say, he is the friend of sinners. No question about that. Appreciate the prayer that was made uh, by the brother just a few moments ago when he's talking about how gracious God is, his kindness to us, and the love that God has to us. If there is a story anywhere in the Bible uh, besides the cross that tells about the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ, this account surely is among those great stories. It is true. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came into this world. I said over and over till my wife is probably sick and tired of hearing it, but I say it over and over, Jesus did not come to this earth to create a Christmas season. I've ruined everybody your day today probably by saying that, but I'm just saying, oh, I always look forward to Christmas. That's fine, I get it, but he didn't come to create a season. He didn't come to save the retail industry. Jesus Christ came to this world to save sinners. That's what the Bible says, that's what he said, and that is why he came. Now they are on an unusual trip, unusual in that they are taking a route to go to Galilee that would not be normal. I think many of you understand, perchance someone doesn't, that from where they were in Judea, if they are going to go up to Galilee and up around the Sea of Galilee, the Jews would go out of their way somewhat and go over into Perea and make their journey longer, but they would avoid the area of the Samaritans. And so Jesus, who would have understood that, of all people he understood it, he says to his uh, disciples, we're going to go up through Samaria. And uh, the scripture states here that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, he must not needs go in order to get to Galilee. The Jews seldom ever, any of them, went to Samaria or among the Samaritans. But Jesus said he must needs, or it says that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, it was not a need as far as geographical travel was concerned, but it was a need as far as the Father's purposes and the Father's will is concerned. 
So that's where the he must needs uh, comes from, that he is doing the bidding and the working of his father. So they go through Samaria. I would like to have seen and heard the disciples' discussion as they were very disturbed, maybe even wondering why is it that he would violate a, 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 a long-standing uh, tradition and custom of avoiding the Samaria and any contact at all with the Samaritans. They hated each other. These, there are half-breed Jews, half-Assyrian, half-Syrian, a mixed race with some Jewish blood in them, and they despised them. They hated them. Uh, completely, and the feeling was mutual. It went both ways. And he must needs go through Samaria, and the disciples had to be wondering, why would he do this, and why would this happen, that we would go through Samaria? And they come to this place called Sychar, which is near Sychar, rather, a city of Samaria. Come to the place that would be called uh, Jacob's Well. You read that. And Jesus sent the disciples into town to go purchase food. He himself, the Bible says, showing his humanity, uh, was wearied of the journey, and he sat there on the well. And then what we have is the woman that comes and the discussion that takes place. Now, just to kind of set the table here for sure, I want you to understand, or I want us to think together, I should say, that the subject at hand has to do with thirst. That's what they're going to be talking about, thirst. Now, the only thing that Jesus and this woman had in common was they both knew what it was to thirst for water. And that's about the end of it right there. That's about all they could have had in common. Jesus, the God-man, walking down here upon this earth, and this woman of Samaria, and you've read a description of the kind of woman that she was, and here they meet at Jacob's well, and the only thing they have in common is he has been traveling. I don't know anything about the temperature, when's the last time he had water, but Jesus knew what it was to thirst for water. She came because of the necessity of water, not only for her to drink, but for her to use in their house like they all did. And so she comes to the well, and they are going to talk about thirst. The physical thirst is all they could relate to as far as one another is concerned or all they had in common. Now, <clears throat> you can tell, this is obvious, Jesus is concerned about more than the water that is in that well. He is concerned about more than putting a cup of water to his lips. As a matter of fact, if you go by the record, we don't even know if he ever got a drink of water. It doesn't say. I, I'm sure he did. But it doesn't say it's not that important. Well, the reason it's not that important is that's not what his focus is. He was not concerned. He was not primarily focused on the H2O. That's not where he was. And I want to recall to you a verse that I quoted in praying a moment ago. That at the end of John chapter 2, it says that Jesus did not need that any should testify to him of man. For he knew all men and he knew what was in man. And so what we have to understand is when Jesus was there at this well and the woman made her approach, then he knew her. He, he, no, he knew all men. He knew all people. He's talking about a man drinking here. When he used the term man, he's talking about humanity. He's not specifying the gender because the woman comes to him and he talks to her and still says, if any man drink, if any man drink. Well, he's using the term that has to do, it's non-gender. It has to do with a human being. 
And of course, Jesus understood who she was, and he understood where she was coming from, and he understood, so he begins this conversation to seek and to save that which is lost. Manifestly, the woman that came to this well was lost. No, she knew her way from Sychar to the well, but that's not the kind of lostness we're talking about. She was lost in relation to her soul. She was lost in relation to her life. The evidence is very, very clear here. And this woman comes focusing upon the physical need. Jesus is focusing upon the spiritual need. Now, <clears throat> he had asked the woman for a drink of water. And she is very concerned that he would do this. I mean, you wouldn't talk to a woman in public like this that you did not know. I mean, that, that would have been true no matter who it was. Men just did not talk to women they did not know. Somebody said, boy, do they think they're too good for women? I, don't bring it in here and try to find some reason to be offended. If you were in Sunday school, you appreciate that, maybe. But anyway, no, he's talking about human being. He comes, and it would be very unusual, very rare that he would speak. But not only did he speak, think about this. He broke the silence and the awkwardness of the occasion, at least on her part. He broke the silence by saying, give me water to drink. I, 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 it had to shake her. It had to stun her that he would speak to her. Not only that, but he asked her for water. Give me water to drink. And the woman says, no, wait a minute here. What's going on? Why is it that you would talk to me, a woman that is a Samaritan? Why would you ask me? And then you saw where Jesus answers in verse number 10. Look at this. In verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, Lady, that, uh, I'm reading between the lines there. If thou knewest, if you only knew, the gift of God, if you only know what God has available for you today. And if you knew who it is that said to thee, give me to drink. He knew what was going on. She didn't know what's going on. And if you knew that, that said to you, give me to drink, here's what you'd do. Thou wouldest have asked of him that he would have given thee living water. I want to remind you of something here. She knew nothing about living water. I said she had no clue what he was talking about. She knew nothing about living water. She looked the situation over and said, well, let's say I would have asked you for this <clears throat> living water. How could you have done it? You don't even have anything to draw from the well with. How could you give me that living water? Again, evidently, she is focused upon the H2O. He is focused upon her soul. Uh, she is focused upon a drink of water and the necessity or the needs that it would fulfill back at her house. And he is focused upon the need of her soul. And so Jesus speaks to her and knows that her life is dry as the desert. He knows. He knows that she's been seeking and searching for something living, not just the water that was in the well, not just the water that she would draw and have in that bucket. No, not that. Her life said she was searching. What, what do you mean? Well, she tried marriage. Not once. Not twice. Come on, five times. 
She's searching for something. She is searching for something. But the things for which she searches in life, it's like a mirage. It looks like it will satisfy. It looks like it will bring happiness. This looks like the relationship that could really, yeah, give me the peace and give me the joy. And after trying marriage five times, she finally comes and is now existing with a man that is not even her husband, which says what? She's still searching and hasn't found it yet. Hasn't found it. The text implies that there are two sources from which people may drink. Two sources. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He was, a, if you don't know who that is, an old scholar of the past and referred to by many a Bible-thumping Bible believers as G. Campbell Morgan. And G. Campbell Morgan suggests that there are two sources from which men may drink. He said you can drink from wells. I read from you out of the book of Jeremiah in chapter 2. And I read there where God, through Jeremiah, confronts his people and said, You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have digged for yourself cisterns or wells or cisterns that can hold no water. All right. Now, that is very consistent with what Mr. Morgan says is going on here. That you have a lady here who is trying to drink from a place, or let's call it a well, that is broken. Think about this. Jesus said, or God said through Jeremiah, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and you have dug yourself cisterns. Now, I'm, I don't have time to go into it, but I'm just saying, I was raised where we didn't have any good running water. We, we had just very little water pressure and a very poor well, and you wouldn't dare drink the stuff, and mom wouldn't even use it in the kitchen. So basically, we had no running water, except it could run a, at least one or two bathtubs of water. And outside of that, we didn't have. So what do we do? We use cisterns. And you know what I found out about cisterns? They can get nasty. I said cisterns can be real nasty. In fact, the one that I used to clean when I was a kid, my mom and my sisters, boy, this took faith. My mom and my sisters had let me down the rope into the cistern. And I actually trusted my sisters to bring me back out. Now, that was something. But nonetheless, go down there. And I'm just telling you some of the stuff I saw in there, like snake skins and like dead mice and hop toads and such as that, that were down there in the bottom of that cistern by the time it was ready to clean out. Somebody said, why didn't you die of sickness? That's what I asked. My mom said, I don't know, ask your dad. My dad said, oh, I don't know. I don't know, Sam. We've been drinking out of it for a long time. So there was the answer right there. And we just kept doing it. All right, now hold on just a second. The idea is that this man-made stuff, it, it has problems. Uh, Jesus said that man-made cisterns can hold no water. In other words, they are going to break. They are going to break down. Everything that man makes breaks. I said everything that man makes breaks. Everything that man makes is breakable. Everything that man makes, it has potential for destruction. And he said about these wells and these cisterns that they can hold no water. In other words, there will be nothing there that can bring lasting satisfaction. That must come from a spring 
And he said, you have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. So God refers to himself. Come on, friends. God refers to himself as a fountain of living water. The source of everything that is right. The source of everything that is true. The source of everything that is God. And sure enough, that's the, consistent with the whole message of the Bible. That every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And God says, I am the fountain of living water. And if you drink of me, then that's one thing. But if you forsake me and you're going to drink of man-made sources, it's going to hurt you. It's going to be destructive. It will not satisfy. I'm thinking right now, like maybe others are, I'm thinking of a man who knew what it was to drink at the fountain of living water. His name was Solomon. And when Solomon uh, inherited the throne from his father David and God placed him there. You remember God came to Solomon and said, uh, Solomon, ask what I shall give you and I'll give it to you. And Solomon didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for riches and treasure and wealth. He didn't ask for any of that. He said, give me wisdom to lead these people. I'm a, I'm a child. That's the way he felt. He said, I'm a child. I, I, I don't have the wisdom. I don't have what it takes. I don't. And so Solomon started drinking at the fountain of living water. In other words, God was his source for everything. And the wisdom of God to, to rule that nation. And did that work? Oh, brother, did it work? I mean, the nation rose to new heights. It was the most uh, awesome nation in the world at that particular time. It never even come close to anything, the, that type of glory that they had under Solomon, who had trusted God, who had drunk at the fountain of living water, who looked at God as his source. But something happened in Solomon's life. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that Solomon made a choice that I'm going to see what life is like under the sun. In other words, I'm going to see what life is like if I'm not drinking at the fountain of living water, if I'm not solely depending upon God, if I'm not solely trusting God. So he took on his journey and he took, uh, he took this journey in his life, I should say. And what he did is he started trying these man-made wells and he drank out of the well of education. He was smart. I mean, this man was smart. You bring Solomon into a situation, you can put him on any TV program today, and he could carry on an intelligent conversation about almost anything that you could possibly think to talk about. This was a brilliant man. Brilliant man. Now, I'm not making this up. He could talk to you about plant life. He could talk to you about animal life. He could talk to you about everything. I mean, just the wisdom that God gave him and the understanding that God gave him. And so what he said is, I'm going to seek learning. And he got to realizing that uh, there's no end to this business of learning. And it really doesn't make me a better man because I know more facts about animal life or plant life or economy or whatever the situation might be. And he realizes there's no end to this. Uh, there's, that's what I tried to tell teachers in school. What are you trying to do? Let me out of here. There's no end to this thing. And sure enough, I know people that are 50 years old and still going to college and taking classes and they're getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Uh, they say, so that's what's going on. Now, uh, and so Solomon tried that and he found, here's what he said. I found that hyper education is uh, it's vanity. Now get used to that word because he uses it a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. And then he said, I'm, I'm going to try wealth and possessions. 
Well, Solomon accumulated incredible wealth. You can go and read about the kind of abundance that it took to support him and his household and his servants and all of that. And then an abundance of wealth. Hold on just a second. Because of the favor of God, people were sending gold from the greatest places of gold mining in the world. People were sending treasures and jewels and riches. Excuse me. And Solomon just piled up the wealth and piled up the riches. There's nothing beyond his reach that he couldn't afford. Solomon. And he said, it's vanity. What do you call that vanity, man? We must be nice to have them. And she said, I spend most of my time worrying about what's going to happen when I die. Read it yourself. It's in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. I'm, and he's worried about who's going to get a hold of this, a rich man or a fool or a wise man or a fool? Who's going to take my riches? What's going to happen to all of this when I'm gone? How about that? He couldn't even enjoy it because he's worried about what's going to happen when he checks out. Vanity is what he called it. Okay, so he's going to try another route. He's got another well to drink from. And he tried the well of, uh, of party life. He tried the well of laughter, hilarity. He, he tried to have fun, the party life. No, you can read it yourself. He'd hire the, he could afford anything. He'd hire the gestures to come in and make him laugh. And they'd probably sit there like people fly to Las Vegas. And they'll sit down for these shows and sit there and laugh. And then go lose their money and then go back home. <laughs> Satisfied and happy, I'm sure. Not. But anyway, here, here's Solomon. And he has the access to the wealth untold. I mean, we wouldn't even know how to measure the kind of wealth that Solomon had at that particular time. And, and he found out that it was vanity. So he's got one more well he's going to try. And it is the well of lust, the well of sexual gratification. And so the next thing you know, he's not only got uh, nine or ten or eleven wives, he's got a hundred and then two. And then 700, and then 300 concubines or subwives. The man has a thousand women in his life. That is 999 more than God meant for a man to have. He's got 1,000 women. Help me, Lord, not to say things here that I don't have anything to do with the sermon, just to keep it going. But the man has a thousand wives. You know what he said after trying these wells? You know what he said? So I hated life. People would look at Solomon and envy him. Wow, look at this man. He's got it up here. Wisdom, discernment, understanding. Wow, look at this man. I'm just telling you right now, he can afford the biggest kind of party you ever saw. Look at this man. He's got wealth that we don't even know how to measure. Look at those that man, don't you know that if Solomon the king has a thousand wives, he probably had access to some of the most beautiful women in all the world. And there would be those that look at that and just imagine in their fantasy what a great life that must be. And Solomon said, no, I drank there. That's a broken well. That's a broken cistern. I drank there. I drank there. I drank there. And here was his conclusion. It's all vanity and vexation of spirit. And he said the words himself, so I hated life. Think about that. So that's the source. Now, the reason I mentioned that, you know, we understand there are people out there trying that. We understand that there are people that have committed suicide in a several million dollar mansion with all kinds of fancy cars sitting in the garage. 
with access to all kinds of party life and all of this. You know, I mean, come on, the stories are everywhere. They are rampant about people like that. And we know that even the people that know how to get in front of a camera and look so happy, I mean, check the royal family, if, if you can take it, uh, and, and just check and see. The people that have access to almost everything that others might dream about or think about, and lo and behold, they go on Oprah or Phil or somebody like that and they pour out their soul that their life is filled with misery. That's because there can be no satisfaction there. Those are broken cisterns. Those are broken wells and they cannot satisfy. And Jesus looked at this woman and she'd had one husband and then two and all the way to five and now living with a man. Are you happy now? And he knew and she knew. No, that doesn't bring joy. And that doesn't bring peace. And that doesn't bring satisfaction. It does not satisfy the thirst that's in me. That she didn't even know how to describe. Jesus said, verse 10, if you'd asked me, I'd give you living water. Living water sounded appealing to her. Can I have your attention? She didn't know what it meant. But it sure sounds better than everything she's tried. Everything she's drunk before is bringing no satisfaction. Not a reason in the world to think that this woman came skipping out to the well saying it's a beautiful day. <laughs> Nothing like that. Came under the burdens of life. At the middle of the day, so she was looked at uh, with disdain and with disrespect. Nobody wanted to be around here. She came when nobody else came to the well. And Jesus said in verse 13, look at it. Whosoever shall drink of this water shall thirst again. Verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Oh, my soul, that got her attention. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Do you think he got her attention or not? I submit to you, verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, this is a major step. Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. I've never had this before. I'm not sure I understand everything, but I know that there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. There's nothing in more relationships. There's nothing in a bigger house. There's nothing in more money. There's nothing in fame and popularity. There's nothing out there that can do what you're saying. And she said to him, give me this water to drink. Two things are so sad. When people are confronted with the gospel that are not saved and they go on with their life trotting, treading ahead, I'll find it somehow. I'll get me another degree. I'll get me another job. I'll get into another relationship. I'll save some money. I'll be ready to retire. I'll buy me this or charge this or that. And just looking for all kinds, in, in all kinds of ways for just some peace and some satisfaction. That's sad. And you confront them with the truth of who Jesus is. And unfortunately, they don't say anything close to this. Give me this water that I may drink. I'll tell you another sad thing. Is those that have drunk of the living water. And they pull a Solomon. And go back to life under the sun. And start drinking where they cannot be satisfied. 
as a preacher and pastor, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it many, many, many times where people come, God's real in their life. They have peace, they have joy, they have purpose, they have fruit, they have meaningfulness and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking I can stand here and tell you stories all day and I'm not the only one. I'm not acting like I know it all and nobody else knows. You probably know of stories, you know of somebody, maybe somebody's crossing your mind like it is mine right now, right now. And you just feel for them. You just feel for them because they're trying so hard to show, I can make it without going to church. I can make it without reading the Bible. I can make it without a devotion to God. I can make it without His control in my life. I can make it. I'll, you wait and see. I can find out what life is about. And they're just stuck. And He's there all the time. And they won't drink. They won't drink. Did you ever hear the song? I know you have. Sweeter as the days go by. Sweeter as the moments fly. The way I'm singing it, you probably don't recognize it, but I'm just saying, that's the message of the song. Uh, what's that one song about uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know? And uh, about serving the Lord, you get more and more. It gets sweeter as time goes by, such as that. You know, you know that's so? If, if, you know, if I can just stop here just a second. I'm, I'm 75 years old now. I got saved when I was six. It blows my mind. I've been saved 69 years. Wouldn't you think a guy by the time he's 69 years old, if he's tried to be a Christian, tried to live in the Bible, tried to be a preacher, don't you think you'd just kind of flatten out there somewhere sometime? But I can tell you right now, the nature of Jesus Christ is this that the more you know him and the more you drink, the sweeter it grows. I, I can tell you right now, I'm not trying, I don't want to stand here. I mean, my wife's sitting right here for crying out loud. I'm not going to try to stand here and act like I am the spiritual giant and the example of this and that. But I can tell you this, I am experiencing that Jesus can be more and more and more precious. And he never, listen to me, this well never runs dry. It's like a spring of water that wells up within us. Jesus cried out and said, if any man thirsts, let him drink. He said in the gospel of John chapter 6, if you eat of this bread, you're going to live. And if you drink of this water, he said, talking about himself, if you receive him, if you trust him, if you walk with him, if you nurture your life, I'm just telling you, it gets better and better. That's why you have special meetings once in a while. That's why uh, there's a need for a revival now and then. It doesn't matter. I, look, I know what it is to stand right in the pulpit as a preacher and preach my heart out and have issues that I know I've taken a step back in my spiritual life and this isn't going to work. I've preached in revivals when the preacher need revived. Are you serious? I wish I didn't know that. I wish I didn't know that was possible, but it is possible. But that that's possible is not the amazing thing. The amazing thing, if you'll listen to him, he'll draw you close to himself again. He'll show you his love again. He'll give you to drink some more. Is everybody with me here? That, oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. Absolutely. Now listen to this carefully. Sir, Give me this water to drink. His answer. 
If you listen to contemporary preaching, his answer would have been something like this. Sure, sure, drink. He said, go get your husband. She had to think, where did this come from? Go get your husband. She said, sir, I, I have no husband. He said, well, I know you've had five. Excuse me, he knew all men, needed not that any should testify to him, ma'am. He didn't, he didn't have a written pedigree of this woman. He knew her. And he said, you've well said, because you've had five husbands. And now you're cohabiting with a man that is not your husband. Somebody might look at that in today's hypersensitive society and say, why would he bring up her sin? Why would he bring up her five husbands and now live it? Why would he do this to this poor woman? I'll tell you why. Because nobody can drink till they deal with their sin. Amen. A gospel that is being preached in the 21st century in the United States of America that does not confront our sinfulness is a phony gospel. It's another gospel. You don't come to Jesus and ignore the sin. And he said to this woman, go get your husband. That's, see, that's how her sinfulness was being manifest. Can I have your attention? That sin wouldn't send her to hell. It wouldn't. But if he's going to talk to her about sin, yeah, sin like what? Well, he just went right to the heart of the issue and said, here's the way your sinfulness is being manifest right now. If you'll read the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, you'll see John the Baptist out there preaching. And you know who comes to him and says, what shall we do to repent? Because they fell into conviction. John the Baptist said to the publicans, well, quit cheating people. Quit being a cheater and filling your pockets full of these oppressed people's money. Now, that is not the sin that determines whether a man goes to heaven or hell. But they ask, what are we supposed to repent of? And he brought out their most glaring and evident sin so they could have a clear understanding. That ain't right. See? And the soldiers came and they said, what are we supposed to do? I mean, they fell under conviction. Roman soldiers actually came and heard John the Baptist preach. They got under conviction as, uh, from the preaching of the man full of the Holy Ghost. And they said, well, we're under conviction too. What, what must we do? Read Luke 4. You'll see it there. And John the Baptist said, quit oppressing the people. Quit taking from people what is not yours. Do your job as a soldier to protect the people instead of abusing the people. Now, that sin doesn't send a man to hell. But he, they asked, what am I supposed to do? And he identified what is the evidence of their sin. And he said to the people as a whole, when they came and said, what shall we do? John the Baptist said, you're a bunch of selfish people. Why don't you go sell your coat and give it to somebody that's poor? All you care about is yourself. You're just looking after yourself. You have no heart for anybody else. He pointed out the self-centeredness, the sin of that, see. I'm just saying, and here at the woman of the well, the woman says, sir, give me this water to drink. It's such a tender moment. It is such a thing that it's incredible thing that this woman would come to this place where she would be talking to this total stranger this Jewish man and that she would say to him sir give me this water to drink but she couldn't drink without her sin being addressed excuse me she couldn't and nobody can She couldn't, 
and nobody can. I was in my Bible reading this week and I was reading there in the book of Acts that they should preach faith in Jesus Christ and repentance toward God. Amen. There it is right there. I mean, it's stated so clearly there. It's all through, but it's stated clearly. Faith in Jesus Christ, repentance for what? Wasn't it Donald Trump that was asked, did you ever repent before God? Repent of what? How long would you have to think about it to think of something you had to repent of? Look, friend, we came out of our mother's womb speaking lies. We were born in sin and shaping in iniquity is what our Bible says. Nobody had to teach us to sin. Nobody had to teach us how to lie. Nobody had to teach us how to resist the will of God. Nobody had to teach us that. It's just in our sin nature. And when we come to God, you don't come to God hanging on to this sin, hanging on to that sin. I'll come to God except for this, except for that, and except for another thing. If you don't deal with the issue of your sin, you won't drink. You won't. Let me say again, as a believer, when I realize I've taken a step back, my spiritual life is not going the direction it's supposed to go. I want to get back right with God. What are you just wake up one day and start doing different? Well, if I step back, I've sinned against God. I've got to get on my face. I get to get down before God and confess. I've loved this or that more than you. I've neglected you. I have not chosen to drink of the well, uh, of the uh, uh, fountain of living water as I was and as I should. I have maybe tasted here or there or I've stepped back from the fountain of living water. You want to get back there? Confess your sin. It doesn't matter if it's a believer that needs revival or if it's a sinner that wants this eternal life that would like to have this fountain of living water, that would like to have this water that if you drink of it, you have everlasting life. It's there. He is that water. Oh, uh, go, to, go to John 6. I'm about done, but it, go to John 6. I got to read this to you. I was going to quote it and it's, I'm struggling with my mind right now, but look in John chapter 6 and verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I, he, he, listen to me. He is the water. He is the living water. Confess the sin. Deal with the sin. And trust Jesus. If you're here today and you've never drunk, let me read you the last words of the Bible. This is amazing. Yep. These are among the very last words of the Bible. And the spirit and the bride say come. If you've never been saved, here's an open invitation to you. The spirit, that would be the spirit of God. The bride, the New Testament church. The spirit and the bride say come. Let him that 
heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever, emphasis on whosoever, will let uh, him take the water of life. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. If you're here this morning, you don't have any assurance that Jesus is your Savior. Drink. Confess. I'm a helpless sinner. I can do nothing to take care of my own sins. I can only accept what Jesus did who paid for all of my sins. I confess my sin. I want to drink of the living water. She could. You can. I was listening to somebody on TV or somebody on YouTube and they said that God has an elect that he sends to heaven, elect he sends to hell. Whosoever will let him drink is what the scripture says. She could. We'll get there tonight. She could. You can. You can be safe. There's no reason for you to live another day Wondering if you have Jesus as your Savior. Wondering if you have this living water. Wondering if you have eternal life. There's no need. Look at me just a second. If you remember this church and you don't have any assurance that you're saved, and that can happen. Happened to that little woman right there. Through Bible college and one year in ministry before she got saved. Struggled, wrestled. Yes, it's settled. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And that night, there in New Mexico, when Bill Dow was preaching, gave the invitation that night at a youth camp. We were already in ministry. And already at youth camp, she drank of the living water. It's never been the same since. You can. She could. You can. Whosoever. God predestinates people to go to hell. The hell's prepared for the devil and his angels. Not for souls of men, only those who reject and refuse to drink of the living water. And if you're a believer and you know, Brother Sam, I've been where you said you were, you'd step back. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. What are you going to do about that? Justify it? Blame somebody else? Point a finger? Excuse yourself? Think you're the exception? Nobody really knows it but me. Please, why don't you come and just say, there's no need wasting my life looking here and looking there. There's no real peace and satisfaction till I'm drinking at the fountain of living water, till I'm right with God by being right with Jesus. Father, you know who's in this room. I don't. I can't come in here the pastor would be one of the first to acknowledge this. Even he doesn't know the condition of everybody's spiritual life. A pastor can know the flock. He can love the flock. He can be acquainted with the flock. But we can't see what all's going on in the heart of a person. And right now, this morning, it could be that somebody is here that has feigned salvation but are not saved. I'm not saying it's so. Sure is possible. I pray that they would wait no longer and come this morning and just humbly.
cast away all pride, humbly come and say, I've lied. I'm not saved. I've never confessed my sin to God. I've never truly drunk of that living water. I pray they'd come today to be saved. Let us take the Bible. See, here's what he said to do to drink. Drink is to believe. Here's what he said to do. If there are believers in this room that know my spiritual life is not where it's supposed to be, I cannot say that I am solely drinking at the fountain of living water because I've stepped back and I kind of going this way and that way and sure not drawing closer and drinking deeper like I once was. Maybe there's believers here today that need to come. Let the revival begin in their soul before we go another service. May your Holy Spirit work and accomplish your purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?